this is Pastor Daryl Beggs. You're listening to Sunday Morning Sermons from Central Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Texas. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Brenda. If you will open your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we are continuing our series on the seven signs of Jesus, the miracles He performed in the Gospel of John. A sign is always something that points to something greater. If you see a sign in Hillsboro that says, Stop! That means you probably should stop. Some of you don't stop. I've seen you already, but that's what it means, right? But it's, it points to something, something greater. Today we're going to talk about moving from impossible to possible. This is the only miraculous sign that's in all four of the Gospels, so it's very significant. It's significant because it shows the sufficiency of Christ in the insufficiency and the weakness of humanity. You know, in these signs, there's a greater lesson. We just see it as a miracle, but there's a lot more to it than that. And so I hope we'll, we'll uh, open our hearts and minds. I know we've heard this story a lot, but for God to speak to us in a fresh way today. Because Jesus calls into existence what didn't even exist in this story. And that's pretty amazing. And uh, when we think about that and whether He can still do that or not in our own lives. Now, the crowd had followed Jesus. But he really wanted to be alone. We're going to look at that in a minute. But there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So there was probably at least 10,000, maybe more than that, maybe 15. They, they had large families back then. So it could have ballooned up to 15, 20. Who knows? There was a lot of people there for him to try to feed with a little boy's lunch. It got toward evening. There was no Walmart. There was no Brookshire Brothers. There was no place to go. And besides that, even, you know, even today, if we run down to Walmart and say we've got to feed 5,000 people, it would be a stretch, wouldn't it? Or 10,000. I don't know how you would do all of that. But we know this story. In this story, the, the impossible became the possible. And I want you to think with me this morning about how Jesus calls us to change our thinking about what's possible and, and how this story reminds us about who we're dealing with. We're not dealing with just anybody in these stories. We're dealing with Jesus who can do anything, right? He, all things are possible with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just another sign that pointed to something greater. In chapter 6, verse 1 of John's Gospel, after these things... Now, there's a gap in here between chapter 5 and chapter 6. Some people say as much as six months. But if you read the other Gospels, this story... We know that this is right after the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been killed, basically murdered, and his head has been brought on a platter, and Jesus is heartbroken over this, and he's really wanting to go away and be alone by himself somewhere. But the crowds keep pressing in on him. And so it says that, the, that Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. And we know the Passover was the time when they celebrated God's deliverance out of Egypt and how they had painted the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost so that when the death angel came over Egypt, all those who had the blood of the Lamb the angel passed over, and the firstborn did not die in those households. But the firstborn in Egypt all died. So it's a symbol of, of our own lives. If, we don't, if we're not covered in the blood of Christ, 
when our time comes, we'll be always and forever separated from God. But thank God Jesus shed His blood so that when death comes, we can go into the presence of God and not be separated forever. Well, it's that time of the year. It's in springtime. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these, way, these may eat? Now, verse 6 is important. It says, this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not f- sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. A denarii was a day's wage, so it would have been 200 days wages. And he said, even that's not enough for everybody to get a bite. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. Remember, we said it was springtime. The green grass had come out. It was a perfect day for a picnic. Uh, So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. It was a problem, wasn't it? That's a lot of people. And they're out there, and it's getting toward evening, and they're hungry, and they've all been drawn to Jesus. They've been drawn by the wrong motive. The Scripture says that they wanted a miracle. That, Of course, now, you stop and think about that for a minute. It was only human, wasn't it? They heard that that Jesus could heal people, and so they had sick people in their families. You would probably do the same thing if you had a sick child or a relative. If you heard Jesus could heal them, you'd want to get them to Him. So that's what they were doing. But Jesus was trying to help them to see beyond the miraculous to to trusting Him for more than just healing and for bread. But nevertheless, that's what was going on. But He was still interested in their need. In Matthew chapter 14, it tells us that, that He's trying to get away, really. He said to His disciples, let's get aside to a lonely place. I think He was worn out. You, you remember, Jesus was a man. Now, He was fully God, but He was also fully man. I think he was tired. I think he was tired because he would, everybody was always pressing in on him and he was always on the go. And night and day he worked to help people. And then when John the Baptist was killed, there was this emotional drain. How many of you know that emotional drain can be just as exhausting as physical drain? Oh yeah, it can. It can really just wear you out. And so he's trying to get some rest. And yet the scripture says when he sees all these people in Matthew chapter 14, he says... When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. It didn't matter that he was tired physically or emotionally. Jesus loved people. He had compassion for them. He had love for them. He wanted to help them, even though he knew their motives weren't always pure. So how were they going to be fed? Every miracle begins with what? It begins with a problem. And that there was obviously a big problem here. Uh, there are opportunities for Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question today. Can you see Philip as yourself? Can you see Philip as yourself? Jesus is testing him, the Scripture says. And he's, you know, he just looks and he says, well, where would we get enough bread to feed all of these people? There's no way. 
And it's a test. The Lord wanted to test him. What happened to Philip happens to us. It it happens to Christians every day. God puts us through things that test us to see how we're going to react, whether we're going to trust him or panic or be filled with anxiety and worry or, or whether we're going to give our anxieties and worries and problems over to him. And, and it's really, those tests come often, don't they, in life? And so he gives to him this test. But it, it was just another one of those situations where there was no earthly solution. And that happens in all of these signs. And all of these signs that we see, there's no human solution. There's no earthly solution for any of these things. How many of you have ever looked at your resources and said, this is not going to add up, this is not going to work, we're not going to be able, we're not going to make it here? You know, most of us have done that at one time or another, and things can look pretty slim. And so in verse 7, Philip says, 200 denarii or 200 days, eight months salary wouldn't feed all these people. It wouldn't even give everybody a bite. And so it was a test to him. Things were hopeless, humanly speaking. Philip was occupied with the circumstances. He looked at what he could see and the overwhelming size of the need, and it became a barrier to his faith. Um, It happens, doesn't it? He calculated without Christ. How many of you know that things really never add up without Jesus? Think about that. Things never really add up without Jesus. Even your heartbeat and the breath you breathe and Wherever you live or whatever God provides for you, it, it, it all belongs to Him and it all comes from Him, right? So life doesn't add up at all without Jesus. But Philip calculated, and he had seen a lot of miracles by this time. He had seen Jesus do a lot of wonderful things, and yet he, he lost his focus. He was tested and he looked in the wrong direction. That's not a good thing. How many of you ever looked in the wrong direction and wound up in trouble? When we were... Uh, Students, when I was a student at Howard Payne, Denise and I, you know, we tr- we're always trying to do something creative to make ends meet. You know, when you're going through college, you just got to do what you got to do. And so we took a job delivering the Brownwood Bulletin, also known simply as the Brownwood Bull. But anyway, we, uh, we had to, the, the only catch to this was there was a Sunday Brownwood Bulletin which is, by the way, how people knew how to go to church. When they got the big paper in the yard, they got up and went. But anyway, they uh, the Brownwood Bulletin, but we had to get up at like, what time do we have to get up? Like 4 o'clock in the morning to go deliver that paper. And we had two little cars. We had a, and this was on Sunday while I was pastoring, so we had to go deliver the paper and then go to church. I was a lot younger then. But anyway, we, uh, we had to go ra- roll all these papers and get them ready to throw. And... Uh, she had, we had two little cars, a little Honda and a little uh, Beetle, like a 72 Volkswagen Beetle. I wish I still had it. It would probably be worth millions. Who knows? But anyway, we, we got our papers all loaded up and we're heading out to throw the papers. And I'm driving down this road. There's a big thoroughfare. You know, Brownwood's a huge city. Big thoroughfare going down through there. And, and I, as I was going along, I got distracted. I looked over, checked my papers. All of a sudden, I ran into something. Well, there was a big median there in the, in the road, and I had forgotten about it, and I got distracted, and I hit that thing, and boom, the tire just blew out. And uh, here comes Denise putting up beside me. She can hardly drive. She's laughing so hard. This was not funny to me. I had to get out and change that tire before I could go deliver those papers and then go preach. Well, what's the point of the story? The point of the story is that you know, Philip kind of had a blow-up too, and you and I have those blow-ups. Sometimes we, 
we look in the wrong direction. And when you get distracted, it's a little scary. Go down the road today. Go down 35 and see people weaving back and forth. And then you get up beside them. What are they doing? They're playing on their cell phone. I don't know. But it's easy to get distracted in our world. And that's what happened with Philip. Philip knew what Jesus could do, but for some reason, it didn't click with him. That's why Jesus was testing him. And that's why he tests us. Because what is he preparing us for? He's preparing us for eternity. And so that was the problem. Too many people, not enough food. So what were the prospects? Well, the prospects, prospects weren't very good. They were slim, but God is good at working with little to nothing, isn't he? And that's a good thing. Andrew also calculated with, without Christ, but at least he did bring a little boy. Andrew must have been a really, I think he was a pretty cool guy. I think that Andrew was a people person. He was the kind of guy that would, I think he must have been out in the crowd meeting people. How are y'all doing? You know, he's probably from South, South Judea. So, uh, you know, asking them how they were, meeting, what's your name? What's your name, little boy? And I don't know where this kid came from. I don't know why he was the only one that had a basket lunch. I don't, I don't know. I listened to a message on this the other day, and they said maybe he got up to go fishing that morning, and his mama packed him a little basket so he wouldn't go out there and not eat all day. And he saw this big crowd and just joined in with them. I don't know what happened, but he's there. And so Andrew finds him and brings him to Jesus. Somebody put it this way, this little faith is the kind that brings human resources to God and begins the process which releases the limitless resources of God. It's kind of what we've been celebrating with our ministries, isn't it? We've, we've brought these needs to God and God has been so good to meet these needs and to call out these people to, to help people at the clinic and through the beach club and ESL and the angel blankets and what am I missing? There, there's so many. What? basketball, all of these wonderful things that go on. And, and God is using these different ministries as we just give them to his hands. So this little boy gave what he had. This little boy, we'll never, I don't know if we'll ever know his name. Maybe when we get to heaven, we can look him up. He'll be the kid with the basket saying, this is the basket. I don't know. But maybe we can look him up and say, you are so famous and we never know your, knew your name. But he gave what he had and he, he he gave such a great example in doing that. What do we do when the prospects are slim? We just present what we have to Jesus and see what he does with it. There is a principle in the Bible that is always true. What does the scripture say in Galatians? Whatever a man or a woman sows, that shall he also reap. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. It just makes sense. We understand that here in farming country, don't we? I mean, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. But the good news is you're going to reap more than you sow and later than you sow. This story is about understanding, part, part of the is about understanding that we always reap more than we sow and later than we sow, whatever we sow. If you sow to the good, then you're going to reap good. But if you sow to the flesh and to the bad, you're going to reap bad. That's what the scripture says. Um, but it's, it, it takes a while, right? In the natural process of thing, it takes a while. You plant the seed, it, God waters it, and you cultivate, and eventually it comes up. Well, the, the thing about these signs that Jesus takes the natural things and just does them instantaneously. He made this seed grow right away. <laughs> so it was a pretty incredible thing, wasn't it? Well, the church kind of has to be like that little boy, whether it's an individual or 
or the church itself. Our security can never be in resources that are seen because it robs us of the ability to trust God and see Him work in our lives. Sometimes I think the reason, the reason that God doesn't always give us just an abundance of things is because He wants us to trust in Him. And, you know, when that happens, we learn to pray, don't we? And we learn to trust in Him. But, so are the prospects always slim? Well, they can look that way, but are they really? I surrender what I have. D.L. Moody said, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. This kid just did a little thing. He just said, well, you can have my lunch. And he gave it to Jesus. Imagine that math. It just doesn't add up. One little boy, one little basket of food equals food for a multitude. And yet he gave what he had in the midst of his problem. So notice that not only there was a problem, the prospects were slim, but he gave what he had. What do we do when our prospects are slim? We give what we have. And we trust God with the rest. Now that's always a principle that we got to remember in our lives. If you, if you want to see more people here on Easter Sunday, you got to invite them. you got to sow the seed. Uh, if you want to see more people in your Sunday school class, you have to invite them. If you, you know, it's just a principle, right? It's, you just can't run around that. And no matter how long or how hard we pray, if we don't get off of our knees and plant the seed... You know, a farmer can go out and throw himself down in his field and pray all night long, but if he don't ever get the tractor out, ain't nothing coming up. So we work together. What does the Scripture says? It, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, so it calls on us to do our part. And then it says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work of His good pleasure. And that's our part and His part. We're partners in this thing. So it's pretty cool to be able to be partners with God, isn't it? But then notice one last thing, the procedure. What did they do? Look at verse 10. It says that uh, Jesus just said, have the people sit down. And of course, He... You know, I think it's interesting here. Do you see grace in Jesus' response? you got to see grace in this response because what if He had acted in accordance with their faith? He wouldn't have ever acted, would he? Because, you know, Philip is saying eight months wages won't even give all these people a bite. And Andrew is saying, well, I got this kid here, but a sack lunch isn't going to go very far with this group. But Jesus just says, well, just have everybody sit down. It's like, this is a test. I'm going to show you one more time. I'm going to show you you can trust me. And he gives grace in the midst. Aren't you thankful that God gives us grace even when we have our doubts and our fears? Uh, so he says, sit, he has them sit down, and he knew what he was going to do. It was a test of obedience. It was a test of obedience for all that crowd, wasn't it? What if you were in that crowd that day, and you're hungry, your stomach, you know, you're walking around with all these people, and you're hearing all these stomachs growl, and all of a sudden you hear people say, sit down, we're going to eat. And they're saying, well, did you bring anything? No, I didn't bring anything. Did you bring? No, I didn't bring anything. What are we going to eat? Well, it, it, took, it really took an act of faith just to sit down, didn't it? And so that was a test as well. Faith is always strengthened by our obedience. And that's another principle that works here that we've been talking about these last few weeks. You remember when, the, when they ran out of wine at the wedding feast, what did Jesus' mother say? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And that's what they did. 
And then when the uh, royal official came and his son was sick, Jesus said, go your way, your son is well. And he went on his way. He took Jesus at his word and he left. Last week we looked at this man who had been ill for 38 years. What did Jesus say to him? Take up your pallet and walk. And he took up his pallet and walked. And it's just, and now he says, sit down. <laughs> I'm going to feed you. So he, it, it, obedience is involved in all of this, an act of obedience. And when did, they, when did they take action before or after the miracle? Always before, because they had to act and trust Jesus for what he was going to do. So not only that, but he used the people. When he distributed this, the King James and the other gospels say that he gave this to the disciples and then they distributed it among the people. You know, that's really amazing, isn't it? That God could have done this. Could he have done this by himself? Could Jesus have fed all his people by himself? Well, sure he could. Did Jesus even need the little boy's lunch? No. He could have made bread out of stones, couldn't he? He could have made bread out of nothing. He's Jesus. But he chose to have Philip and Andrew and that little boy and all that crowd and all those disciples involved in this miracle. What a blessing. What a blessing to be able to one day step into heaven and say, thank you, Lord, for letting me be some small part in, in, in your grand work, in your kingdom. And it all starts with just coming to him empty-handed it's really pretty neat, isn't it? You remember the very first beatitude? The very first beatitude Jesus quoted was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I come to him with my bankruptcy of spirit, and he gives me a whole kingdom. It's amazing. And so he gives to them this opportunity to be part of this miracle. So he gives thanks. He looks to heaven. He gives thanks. That's a pretty good example too, isn't it? Before you just dive into something, it's always a good idea, whether it's praying over your meal or over your day or over your decision, it's always a good idea to look to heaven first, right? If He, the Son of God, did that for an example, then who are we not to do that? And it's important to us. So they must have been amazed because it just kept multiplying and multiplying and I love the story I read a long time ago where the little boy said, he looked at his friend and he said, that's my lunch. And then it kept multiplying and he said, that is not my lunch. And so it was just amazing how it kept multiplying and how God used that. Now, there's another principle here that I want to share with you that I think that, that has helped me in my life. And I hope it will be a help to you. The, the principle of the Christian life being an exchange. It's an exchange of our life for the life of Christ. What does Paul say in Galatians 2.20? He said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. It's an exchange. Let me share with you some of the things we can exchange in the Christian life. It's an exchange of our poverty for His riches. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's an exchange of our bondage for His freedom, our weakness for His strength, our perversion for His purity, our lust for His love, our brokenness for His wholeness, our anxieties for His peace, 
our selfishness for his selflessness, our insecurities for his security, our grief for his comfort, our questions for his answers, and our doubts for his faith, and our fears for his courage. You see, anything that we have that is broken, when he comes in, he invites us to exchange our inadequacies, our insecurities, our insufficiencies, all that we are not for all that he is. Isn't that good news? Man, I tell you, to me, that was the first time I ever heard or read that. It was revolutionary for me. Because I understand what Paul said when he said to the Corinthians, in this flesh dwells no good thing. I understand that. I know. I know myself and God knows me even better. He knows that in this flesh, in, in the selfishness of who I am, there's no good or godly thing. But when I exchange those things that are not good and the sinfulness of my heart and life for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and His forgiveness, the Bible says that He has given me all that I need and you, all that I need pertaining to life and godliness. How much? All. Oh, isn't that good news? I mean, if you weren't Baptist, you'd probably jump up and shout, but since you are, you just, just kind of sit there. But that should be revolutionary for us, shouldn't it? It really should. It's, it's such an incredible story. So what did He give them? He gave them more than enough. They picked up the leftovers so that they would have some later, so that they could share it. Are there problems in life? Of course there are, always. There's always something. How many of you caught yourself saying that this week? It's always something. That's a famous saying, isn't it? It's always something. Sure, there's always problems. What are the prospects? Well, are they, are they slim? Well, it depends. It depends on your focus, whether your focus is on the meagerness of your resources and who you are, or if you focus on the one who is greater than all things. And what about the procedure? Well, I just take what little I have and I give it to him and I watch him work. It's a pretty neat story, isn't it? I read a devotion by Rick Warren, and in that devotion, he said this. He said, a woman once asked me, Rick, is it really okay for me to talk to God about the small things in my life? Shouldn't I just talk to him about the big problems that I have? I looked at her and said, ma'am, can you imagine any problem that you would have that God would consider big? It's all small. There's nothing too big for God. It's all small stuff. Don't you love that? Whatever's huge to you is tiny to Him. And if we can keep that perspective and mindset, it really helps us a lot, doesn't it? You see, was it about the bread and the fish? No, it wasn't about the bread and the fish. It was a miracle to us, but to Jesus it was really nothing. It was something very easy for Him to do. It was all about a test of a follower to see how he would respond. Think about this with me for a minute. What if Philip had simply said to Jesus, Lord, all things are possible with you, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do. And I put all that I am and all that I have at your disposal. And I'm so excited about the next step. What do you think Jesus would have said? Hallelujah, Philip got it. And maybe he would look at you and I when we have our problems 
and we come to him and say, Lord, (laughs) things are pretty meager, but I give all that I am and all that I have to you. And I look forward to how you're going to help. I put myself at your disposal.